Aw, those babies are so cute. Have you ever stopped to think about how a baby grows? It goes from this blob that can't even hold its head up to all of the amazing people that we have around us. That is what we are talking about in this podcast, infancy and physical growth and development of an infant. In this podcast, we're talking about infancy and really focusing in on physical development that occurs during infancy. When we're talking about infancy, we're talking about a time period from birth until about two years of age. And during this time period, we will see the most rapid period of growth, not only physical growth, but also cognitive and social development as well that we're going to be talking about later. No other time period in your life, though, have you grown as much as when you were in an infant. This first two years is the most rapid period of growth and development that we will experience. So before we get started talking about all of this major growth that we're going to experience or that we experienced as infants, we're going to talk about some patterns of growth. These are patterns of growth that we'll see not only physical development, but we'll also see with cognitive and with social growth as well. So the first period is cephalocaudal pattern, and this cephalocaudal pattern of development is head to toe. And so what we'll see is that they will grow first with their head, and then it will carry on down their body. So one of the first examples of this cephalocaudal pattern of growth is infants being able to hold up their head. It's probably something that you've never thought about because you've always been able to hold up your head. But infants, when they're born, they actually are born with very few muscles because they don't really need the muscles in utero. And it's actually beneficial not to have a whole lot of muscle development so that they can adjust and shift and be very flexible through the birthing canal. So right after birth is when infants, the cells that have already been formed and are in place for muscles, start to really grow and develop. And the first muscles that you'll see appearing is the muscles in their neck so that they can hold up their own head. And this will happen within the first couple days of birth or first couple days of infancy. Um, and you'll see that they'll be able to hold their own head up. And then as they, again, exhibiting this cephalocaudal pattern or cephalocaudal pattern, you'll see that um, they start to are able to move their arms more, their muscles in their arms develop, the muscles in their legs develop. They're going to be able to grasp things and hold things with their hands before they're able to walk or move their legs. And so that's that cephalocaudal pattern. The second pattern of development that we'll see is proximal distal. Proximal distal is near to far or from the center of the body outward. And so we'll see that they'll be able to flail their arms in a pattern, you know, seeking attention before they're able to really use their fingers to pick things up. That's that proximodistal pattern of growth and development. So we'll see both of these patterns as we go through and we talk about not only physical development, but also some other forms of development. So talking about an infant, the average American baby when they're born is about 20 inches in length and about seven to seven, about seven and a half to eight pounds in weight. And so 
by the time they reach their second birthday, an infant is about 26 to 32 pounds and about 32 to 35 inches. So you can see this major period of growth and development from a physical standpoint that occurs during the first two years. There is a whole series on Netflix. Um, It's a six-part series on Netflix called Babies. And one of the ones that one of the series that they or one of the specials that they focus in on is these this growth and development that occurs in infancy. So one of the first areas that we're going to focus on is brain development. The brain is going to go through a massive period of growth and development after the baby is born. Everything is in place. All of the neurons are there. All of the lobes of the brain, um, the four lobes, the frontal lobe, the occipital lobe, the temporal lobe, and the parietal lobe are all there. However, after the baby is born, they will go through a rapid period of growth and development. Those neurons, the dendrites of the neurons, will stretch out and form new connections with axon endings of lots of different neurons within their brain every time they come in contact with something new. And so we can do a lot of brain mapping, and we can measure this rapid period of growth and development. Now, because the brain is growing and developing, though, it also makes the brain very vulnerable. It's vulnerable to things like shaken baby syndrome. It's vulnerable to malnourishment. Um, It's vulnerable to um, damage, damage either from outside things like a fall or um, you know, a concussion. It's also damage to other um, environmental things, like I mentioned, malnourishment, but also viruses um, leave the brain very vulnerable. And so there's a lot of things that can impact the brain very early on. And so um, you want to make sure that you're providing a very enriching environment that is also protective to your baby. Uh, we have a lot of research from children in deprived um, environments like Russian and Romanian orphanages where their brain activity then as children and even as adolescents is actually decreased or diminished because they were not um, spoken to in their environment. They weren't held. They didn't have physical contact. And so that really deprives the brain. Um, As I mentioned previously, when we were talking about neonates, uh, kangaroo care or that hand, that physical skin-to-skin contact really helps the brain and helps the body grow. And the same is true for infants. Having that connection is really going to help the brain grow. And we'll talk more about this when we talk about cognitive development and when we talk about social development. So let's look at... um, Oh, one other thing that I want to mention before we move on um, is plasticity. The brain, although it's very vulnerable, it's also at this age, it's very able to form new neural connections. And so damages that may occur, maybe from early malnourishment, can really be counteracted within these first two years if the baby is given proper nutrients and given a proper environment to grow and develop. 
So we can um, reverse some of those damages, and we'll talk about that as we go forward. So let's focus in on a couple of key aspects. We're going to talk a little bit about sleep, and then we're going to talk a little bit about nutrition, because these are two big areas that are going to impact that brain development. Infants sleep a lot. As a matter of fact, the typical infant sleeps about 18 hours a day, and then as they grow, that sleep pattern is going to diminish, and they'll sleep less and less. But there are... um, a large, there's a large body of research that shows the very beneficial impacts of an infant sleeping. It really helps to replenish and uh, rebuild the body and actually has a very restorative nature for the brain. It helps to clear out any um, waste that may occur in the brain. It also helps to increase those neural connections and helps those neurons to grow. Infants um, exhibit fairly normal sleep-wake patterns in uh, the first couple years of life. They may start out where they may have their sleep-wake patterns um, backwards, where they're awake at night and sleeping more times during the day. But these are very easy to adjust in an infant, and through conditioning, their patterns will fall into place. Infants also experience REM sleep, which you recall, REM sleep is rapid eye movement and is characteristic of one of the most um, deepest stages of sleep that also um, occurs with dreams or is encompassed with um, a specific type of dreaming. And so infants do... um, Uh, experience REM sleep. You can very clearly see it in an infant because um, their eyes will dart back and forth even if they're closed. And this really is beneficial for um, promoting brain development and that neural, those neural connections. So sleep is really linked to a lot of cognitive developments that we'll talk about as we go forward um, because The brain development and maturation is really key for cognitive development. It's also key for our memory consolidation and for being able to recall things, which again is not something that we really link with infants, but it does occur. And lacking sleep in infancy is also been linked to uh, more behavioral issues and distractibility issues later on in life, especially during childhood. So sleep is really a key aspect, and it's actually, ironically, um, one of the, there's a whole series, a whole show, um, one of the episodes on the Netflix series, Babies, is actually devoted to sleep, really looking at how important sleep is for infants. Um, now, there is something we can't mention sleep without mentioning um, SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. Sudden infant death syndrome is when infants die suddenly and typically in their sleep, and parents say things like they had no idea, they don't know what happened. Um, it is more likely to occur in infants that have some abnormal brain stem stem functioning. Um, And typically, um, and and for most parents, they wouldn't necessarily even know that the baby has an abnormal brain stem functioning. Um, But this may occur in infants that, you know, were born prematurely or born, um, you know, 
at a lower birth weight. Uh, there also are some other findings like babies typically have an underlying issue like a heart arrhythmia or maybe even experiencing sleep apnea again, which may be linked to an abnormal brainstem functioning. Um, they are more likely, SIDS is more likely to occur in a ha- home where somebody is smoking, not only maternal smoking, but other people smoking. And oftentimes, again, correlational research indicates that it occurs more likely when they're sleeping in the same bed with parents or with other individuals or that they have soft bedding. So pediatricians recommend that infants um, sleep in a bedroom with a, with a fan on, that they sleep on their backs, that they don't have any soft um, cushiony bedding in there. And often, t- and they also recommend that if a mother can breastfeed, because infants who are breastfed tend to have lower rates of SIDS which really really listen to nutrition, and nutrition being a second key aspect in infant development. Um, Babies don't need to consume a lot because their stomachs are very small. However, babies will need to eat frequently because their stomachs are very small, and the average infant eats about every two hours. Um, Obviously, uh, here in America, we know that breastfeeding is much more beneficial uh, than bottle feeding for infants whenever it is possible. However, when breastfeeding is just too frustrating for either the mother or the infant, then it's not going to be beneficial. But breastfed babies have fewer uh, gastrointestinal infections. They have fewer digestive issues. They have fewer respiratory issues. So breastfed babies um, have a lower incidence of asthma and other chronic um, breathing issues. Um, They have fewer overall infections like ears, throat, nose, sinus infections. They have fewer um, hospitalizations and a reduced risk of allergies. And the main reason for this is because the mother's breast milk actually changes as the needs of the infant change. The first breast milk that a mother produces has a high level of um, of cholesterol and high level of fat in it to help the baby. And this is within a few hours of um, being born. And this really helps the baby grow and develop. It helps the baby um, put on more fat content and really helps the brain development of infants. As the baby changes and as the baby demands more, the mother's body will produce more um milk, but also produce a different quality of milk. So by the time the baby makes it to about two to three months, the mother's breast milk has changed again and is now um, containing more nutrients that the baby needs. Um, The other thing is that the baby gets something called passive immunity from the mother's breast milk. And so if the mother was um, exposed to chicken pox, or if the mother was exposed to even the seasonal flu, the baby will get antibodies from the mother's breast milk. And so that's why babies who are breastfed have lower rates of infections and viruses and hospitalizations. 
There's some other um, interesting information that we have gleaned from breastfed babies, and that is that breastfed babies are less likely to become obese or overweight in childhood, adolescence, or adulthood. And one of the rationales is that they think that babies learn how um, to stop eating when they're full versus bottle-fed babies, there's a natural inclination for the primary caregiver to um, overfeed the baby because that you can see how much is left in the bottle and you don't want to waste it or throw it away. There's also um, uh, information that babies are less likely to develop type 1 diabetes in childhood or type 2 diabetes in adulthood if they are breastfed versus bottle feeding. And so there's lots of additional benefits, um, not just nutritional benefits that come from breastfeeding as well. Things like um, that we're going to be talking about the social benefits and um, the psychological benefits of bottle feed or of breastfeeding um, that come from that connection with the mother. Now, obviously, bottle feeding is much more inclusive, and so there's social benefits to bottle feeding as well. And we'll talk about those as we go forward. Now we're going to move into motor development. Motor skill development is motor and sensory development are the two systems that are really going to um, develop and excel during these first two years in infancy. Again, we're going to go from something that really can just lay there and hardly hold its head up to something that can walk and run and do a lot of uh, physical skills. So the dynamic systems approach is that there really are three key things that the infant needs in order to develop their motor skills. The first thing is maturation of the central nervous system. So brain development. We need the brain to develop in order for the infant to be able to do any of these motor skills or physical skills. There also needs to be a proper physical development. The body has to be developed. Those muscles have to be developed in order for the child or the infant to um, be able to perform that physical task. And then the last thing is that there needs to be environmental support or there needs to be opportunity for practice. And so in um, that opportunity, it also has to have some motivation from the child. So the child needs to be be able to practice that skill and be motivated to practice that skill. I like to point out at this point in time that... um, Uh, crawling is a great example of this dynamic systems approach. One of the downfalls of the SIDS back to sleep campaign is that infants didn't have an opportunity to spend time on their stomachs. And if you think about it, Spending time on your stomach is a whole lot more difficult than spending time on your back. If you lay on your back, think of all the things that you can see and do, and you don't really have to engage a whole lot of muscles. But when you lay on your stomach, even as an adult, when you lay on your stomach, in order for you to see things, you have to be able to lift up your head, which requires muscles. 
You may even have to be able to prop up your arms, which require muscles not only of your arms, but of your core and of your abdominal cavity. And so that requires a whole lot more muscles. Infants naturally don't want to lay on their stomachs unless they're given practice time in their environment. And so oftentimes the biggest complaint that I hear of adults is that, well, my baby doesn't want to do tummy time. I put them on their stomachs and they cry. Naturally, they will cry because they don't want to do tummy time. It's requiring them to use a whole lot more muscles than what they're accustomed to or what they would need if they laid on their backs. However, they may have the brain development and they may have the physical development to crawl. But again, if they're not given that opportunity to spend time on their stomachs and they're not motivated to crawl or to spend time on their stomachs, then they probably won't crawl. There are some incredibly beneficial um, brain development changes that occur if an infant is allowed to crawl. It's something called crossing the midline. And we'll talk about this as we go forward when we talk about the two hemispheres of the brain and cognitive development. So that's one of the key aspects, though, um, of this dynamic systems approach is that we have to allow infants the opportunity and motivation to do these physical activities, such as crawling or walking or any number of things that they'll be exposed to in their environment. The first motor skills that we're going to see actually come from reflexes, and this is a great time to mention another um, concept that we're going to be talking about in infancy, which is experience expectant growth versus experience dependent growth. Experience expectant growth is things that we expect to see. And this is really how we measure a lot of growth and development during infancy. We expect that infants will be able to hold their head up on their own within the first couple of days or weeks of being born. We expect infants to be able to sit up within about three to six months of being born. We expect infants to be able to, um, you know, say a couple of words by the time they're one years old. That is all experience expectant growth, and it's how we're going to measure how the baby is growing and developing. Then there is experience-dependent growth. Experience-dependent growth is growth that is dependent on the infant experiencing it in order for them to accomplish that skill. So a prime example is crawling that we were just talking about. Crawling is an experience-dependent skill. If infants are never allowed to experience tummy time and be on their stomachs, they will never um, crawl, which may or may not impact their growth and development long-term. But that's experience-dependent. As we go forward, we'll talk about some other experience-dependent growth patterns, things like Riding a bike and swimming are all experience dependent. So the first motor skills that we're really going to see come out of reflexes. And reflexes are built-in reactions. Some of the reflexes that we have as newborns are there for survival. Things like rooting and sneezing um, and sucking reflexes. Those are all there for survival. Rooting reflexes, of course, when the infant turns their cheek to the side in order to find um, nutrients. 
The sucking reflex is obviously beneficial for maintaining survival and finding food. And so some of these reflexes are just that. They are um, experience, well, all the reflexes are experience expectant, but they are survival reflexes. And then we have some other reflexes that we are not 100% certain what these reflexes do, but we believe that they give early indications of proper brain development. And so they're a quick way to assess the proper brain development of an infant. These reflexes are there at birth and typically will go underground or we won't see them again. They'll disappear within the first about six months of life and we'll see them in other ways later on in life. These are things like the Babinski reflex. The Babinski reflex is when um, you stroke the bottom of an infant's foot and their toes kind of uh, fan upward and outward. That, again, is an indicator of proper brain development. And really and truly, the only time that you see the Babinski reflex in adults is when an adult um, either has a neurological problem like um, ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, or even potentially an MS, multiple sclerosis, or if they have a brain tumor, um, you may also see the Babinski reflex. Some other reflexes are um, the Moro reflex. The Moro reflex is when a newborn is startled or when you're lowering a baby, an infant down into their crib, you may see their arms flail up and their head throw, their head goes back and their arms and legs kind of flail forward or they arch their body moving forward. That is um, the moral reflex and that's in uh, response to a startle, an intense noise, or even, you know, that feeling that they're falling. There's also the grasping reflex. The grasping reflex is when something touches the infant's palm, they'll grab it and they'll grab on pretty tightly. Um, I hear new more new mothers say all the time, oh, don't let the baby near your hair. They'll grasp the reflex. Another one is the stepping reflex. The stepping reflex is when you hold an infant up over a hard surface, their legs will look as if they're walking. Their uh, legs will step up and down, and a lot of parents see this and are in amazement that their infant, who is only a few days old, can exhibit this stepping reflex, and they think that they're going to be an early walker. But don't be surprised because that reflex is just that. It's a reflex and it indicates proper brain development, but it will go away at about six months of age and you won't see it again until they actually start to walk. So I actually have posted a video on all of these reflexes and I encourage you to watch that video. So these gross motor skills during the first year are really going to vary, but a lot of them are experience expectant. And so we expect to see things like um, infants sitting up, which require a lot of gross motor skills, infants rolling over, which also require a lot of gross motor skills. And then we'll see oh, as infants 
grow and develop in that proximal distal and cephalocaudal patterns, we'll see some fine motor skills developing, like the palmer grasp, grasping things with their whole hand, or the pincer grasp, which is grasping things with just their thumb and their forefingers or just their their hand, their fingers. And that obviously is going to develop the pincer grasp, is going to develop later than the palmer grasp or being able to grasp things with their whole hand. So let's move into some sensations and some sensory development. When we're talking about sensory development, we're talking about our eyes, our ears, our taste, our touch, and our smell. And of those senses, which one is the most developed when you're born? Your sense of hearing is the most developed at birth. As a matter of fact, although we like to think that we have great eyes when we're born, our visual development is actually worse when we, or our visual, our eyes are actually one of the poorest senses when we are born. Um, And so we can't see things very well. Our visual acuity is really bad. It's estimated somewhere around 20, 240. And so infants really see things best at a distance. And so when you uh, hold a baby out about arm's length, that is when their visual acuity is best. They'll be able to see you then. Although infants really cannot see color vision within the fir- for the first several weeks, and that's a developing system. Um, so I have some pictures posted that you can take a look at what an infant sees within the first couple of weeks. So their color vision and their um, actual de- their actual perception is really poor, in addition to their depth perception. Um, an infant's depth perception really doesn't develop until later on in life. And so for the first couple of months for an infant's life, everything really is like flat Stanley. They only see two dimensions. And this is one of the reasons why peekaboo is so funny, because when you put your hands up in front of your face, for an infant, they can't see depth. They can't see that you still exist behind your hands. All they can see are your hands. And so they think it's funny because you're disappearing and reappearing all the time. And that really is linked, that cognitive development is also linked to that depth perception. The depth perception will start to develop right around four or five months, which is beneficial because they'll start crawling. Typically, um, babies will start to roll and start to move around six months of age. And so it's key for them to have that depth perception. We can measure depth perception with the visual cliff. Um, And so the visual cliff is a table that uh, has a checkerboard pattern and it appears as though it drops off. However, the baby can crawl across it. I have a video posted that incorporates not only um, depth perception with the visual cliff, but it also incorporates um, infant emotions and how infants really become very good at reading faces and facial expressions. And that's because Infants are attuned. The things that infants like to look at are faces. And so they really spend a lot of time studying faces. It's also key for that bonding and attachment that we'll talk about in our social skills. 
Infants hear very well, though. They can recognize the mother's voice and other adults in their life uh, within the first couple of hours of being born. Because remember, infants were able to hear in utero, and so they've heard the mother's voice for a long time now. And so they're able to recognize the mother's voice, and they actually, infant studies found, that they suck harder when they hear the mother's voice um, and actually turn towards the mother's voice, as well as other um, adults in their life that they hear on a regular basis. Newborns are also sensitive to touch and pain. In newborns, equate temperature changes to pain. And so infants will cry when they're too cold or they'll cry when they're too hot because for them, that sensation is much like a painful sensation. They also um, smell and taste will develop. Um, they haven't, they have used it and it was an underdeveloped sense in utero, but as they grow um, outside of the mother and as they grow and develop, they will develop um, a taste and that can also be factored in with what the mother is eating because if a mother is breastfeeding, the baby or the infant will get exposed to more tastes and more smells through that. So that really rounds out our sensory development and a lot of the aspects of our physical development that occur during infancy. Now, a lot of this is interconnected with cognitive development and social development, so I encourage you to listen to those as well.